the Contrarian Podcast, sponsored by Faraday Solicitors. Going to court can be stressful and difficult. That's when you need support and expert advice. Faraday's solicitors have a range of departments providing family law, criminal defence and civil litigation advice. Our solicitors are available to discuss your case to ensure you achieve the best possible outcome. Our reputation is built upon a philosophy of thorough case preparation coupled with a fearless commitment where we endeavour to provide every client with a high quality service. We hold a legal aid franchise are LXL accredited and are regulated by the SRA. Our solicitors will advise you on the most cost-effective way to fund your case as we accept both privately and publicly funded cases. Faraday's solicitors firmly believe that everyone has a right to justice and we will help you uphold that right. We can be contacted on 0207 281 1001 or via email on inquiries at faradaysolicitors.co.uk. The heart of East London, it's New Sound Radio 22 FM. Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Contrarian Podcast with your hosts Rohan Shivalka and Tafik Hayat. So today we have a very special guest. Hey guys, my name is Chongor Borabashi and I'm currently working at Deliveroo as a software engineer. Originally I'm from Romania, but I am Hungarian and moved to the UK to uni. So I went to University of Birmingham, where I met you, and uh, it was fun three years. And now I just moved to London four months ago and uh, started full-time my, working. Yeah, full time started my career. Yeah, you said you did your um, bachelor's in AI. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So I did AI and computer science at Uni of Birmingham. Uh, Uni of Birmingham was fun. I mean. Do you enjoy it? Do you... Well, I did economics and political science, and yes, yeah, so very different to what you did, but no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think the good thing is that being at university, you're in your own little bubble, and so I felt almost detached from the real world, especially at Birmingham, where there's a campus, yeah. there's a big sense of community, and you can sort of like just lose yourself in like the uni experience culture, so it's very much a bubble. I mean, for me, like... I study in London, so I study I study at Cass Business School, so City University, but the business school there. Yeah. And for us, like the London life is pretty different, man. Like, like it is is significant different compared to like go to Birmingham or Liverpool. Absolutely, because it's just such a cosmopolitan. There's everything to do, yeah. but it is very expensive. Let's just say, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> well, for me, it was like talking about this bubble. It was like probably I can count on my hands if I was at most 10 times in the city center. Yeah. Oh, okay. Don't count the parties at the night, but like just visiting the city center. I just had nothing to do there. We had, we had the campus, we had uni, yeah. living next to the campus. So, yeah. Do you know what I found about Birmingham that, especially the city center, is very consumer orientated is that you go there and there's just shops there's no sort of culture i hate to say yeah. it, but it's very consumer based it's just boring i mean yeah just, I, uh, I did like digbeth i have to say it's quite, that, that quite weird nice, and yeah. but city center is the boring what is the shopping mall yeah, yeah. but like selfridges and stuff like that yeah. Sure, yeah there's a selfridges but yeah just literally like every shop that you think of your classic franchises is there nowhere like you can go on a trek or escape like in London, we can go out to Epic Forest to camp or like. Well, obviously, but in, in, in terms of. But then that's, of course, outside of like the main city centre. Another thing that I realised about Birmingham is that it's like city centre and then it's just the suburbs straight away, one extreme to the other in a moment, yeah. and it's just one road. Hey, Chonga, were you aware of um, like the, um, the Brum accent before you arrived? <laughs> oh, man, I have no idea. I just became aware of the accents. Probably at the end of first year when I just started to meet people from the north and then the south, but I can't differentiate what is the accent of Birmingham people. You cannot differentiate. No. There's a bit. Do you, do you know do what? You it's uh, yeah, the Birmingham accent <laughs> is an interesting one for sure. But yeah, yeah, I th- I, we're not going to go into too. We're not going to go too much. Let's not make some. Yeah, we have We got. We got to stay politically correct. <laughs> yeah, Lannisters are, are not attacking <laughs> the bloody north. <laughs> I mean, start off like I want to certainly build upon like, like when you because you came as an international student, so it's a new experience. It's quite different in a way as well. Was your like your biggest skill as you studied computer science? Your biggest skill must have been. Did you discover you wanted to do computer science like maybe like when you was in like fourteen, thirteen years old? Oh, oh no, 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 no. 
This was a bit later, you'd say. Yeah, I, I started learning about this programming uh, stuff in ninth grade, so this is like start of high school. Was it introducing class or was it? Yeah, it was the first time I had uh, programming classes. And what did you? Was there were there optional classes that you just took an interest in, or uh, compulsory? So in Romania, all the classes are compulsory. It's yeah. it's not like you can choose what you want to study. You have a, a program, and that's for the whole country. Do you think that's a good thing? Uh, absolutely not. Really. I mean, ni- Okay, not really 90, but 70% of the classes were stuff that I will never use. So I had classes like uh, religion, if you can believe. It was a total waste of time. I mean, how can you study religion at school? There is a church where you can go if you want to study religion. Yeah. No. Uh, then I had all kind of classes where the teachers were just like, all not too much experience with the, this new reality, technology. It was just like lots of useless time spent in school. Yeah, I get that. But especially with a subject like computer science, do you think integrating it into the core of the curriculum is a good thing? Because like in this country, it's it's an it's an optional it's an optional module or an optional subject to do in a world where you know coding skills are becoming more important. I think where countries integrate these sort of subjects into into the core of the curriculum, I think it's a good thing, right? It's absolutely a good thing. I mean. There were different type of computer science courses. Uh, mine was like heavy math and computer science, but there were other classes where you had uh, digital skills. Okay. And uh, like you could learn Photoshop, Microsoft Excel, and just learning. Yeah. You know, I, would, I would have loved something like that. Or playing around the graphics. Yeah, just stuff. it's it's so important. Like especially for this podcast, right? There's like. Learning how to edit, like I'd wish that I had acquired these skills when I was younger, because then, when you're younger, you're you're easily susceptible to new ideas and new things, and I guess that's why when you when you're a kid, you're you're pushed to learn so much because you're you're like a sponge, you can just learn as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna just it's not off topic. I was thinking about this. Yeah, there was this guy called like um, what was it, David Cho, and like he was like um, a graphics artist. And um, so he like did like artworks and stuff like yeah. that all across Los Angeles. And you know Facebook. Um, Facebook when Facebook came into the scene, I think oh four was when it was like starting off and going into it. Just got their first offices and stuff. Um, they wanted David Cho to do like the Facebook artwork, so they couldn't pay him in cash for the for the amount. But they gave him stocks. <laughs> so oh, <wow. laughs> this guy like literally went from like. I think like he made uh, oh, stocks in Facebook. Yeah, he made he received stocks in Facebook as payment, and like he made like I think, like over a few hundred million. It's ridiculous. Oh. Yeah, two hundred wow. million. So let me just correct myself. He got paid in stocks for probably like a few thousand dollars of work. Yeah, paid in stocks, two hundred million dollars. Wow. But obviously, it wasn't worth that much at the just, time. Just like guys, just get involved everywhere you go out. <laughs> Do you know that's an example of if you're good at something, the times are changing, and someone's gonna need your skills. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just amazed. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> that's that's impressive. That's um, really impressive. Was a lucky guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people I've been. I mean, my father was like crying the other day. Like, he's just annoyed. He's like. Have you just looked at Bitcoin ten years ago? If I made Bit, if I just put like sixty cents of Bitcoin in like ten or oh nine, it would like oh my god, be like multi multi millionaires. <laughs> I think a lot of people are just blaming themselves now. It would have been something where you would have seen it flying about because I think back in the day, like, I remember seeing like these games where you could like win one Bitcoin at the end of this game. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, ages ago when Bitcoin like was first came onto the scene, I remember you could. You could play these games and then you win a Bitcoin and it didn't mean anything at the time. But imagine people like clocked onto it. Like I bet you some people have like these old accounts with like 20 Bitcoins on it that they just like don't know how to access it. Like, <laughs> exactly. how, how sad is that? <laughs> 20 times, see, that's like 120,000 or something. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's the peak of the market. Imagine how oh, much God. that would yeah, be. Bitcoin went, uh, what was like $15,000 or something? 20k at some point. Oh, did it go to 20k at some 18, point? 18. 18k, yeah. 18, 19, yeah. That was some crazy stuff, man. <laughs> were you, like, you know when you were, um, so what year did you start your degree, by the way? What year? Mm. I started in 2016. 2016. Yeah. And um, 
So you obviously started off in your first year and like the subject of computer science and AI, it's not something you've like studied before. Like, you know, like it's not something you did in your class before, like a pre-prep, you know, like it's not something. Yeah. So what did you feel in your first year, like when you went into your lectures and you counted your exams? The lectures of, from this AI module were quite hard at the beginning, to be fair, because it was something completely new. Mm. But uh, that that's one reason why I just took on this course, because it was challenging and it made me just learn new stuff. Because I had programming experience before, probably it would have been boring to just do simple programming. Yeah. So yeah, it was challenging. Um, the exams, uh, well, exam season is not that special for me for some reason. They are just like any other test. Yeah. So I, I believe that if you prepare, you will just pass. Yeah. And now it depends how much you care about the grades. And is it important to have good grades for your career path or is it not important? For me, I decided that it wasn't so important because I don't want to be to go to masters, I don't want to do a PhD, I don't need high grades to get into MIT. I just want to build my own path. Like, is it just like a way to like stuff. facilitate your future? Like, I need to get a degree and then this will be a stepping stone for me to do other things when I'm older. To be fair, I don't even believe in getting degrees. Although it was useful right now because it was a stepping stone towards coming to London. But uh, you can learn so many things without a degree. And yeah. in those three years, if you're really motivated, just harness a skill, become very good at it, build up a good portfolio and... I guess you can be hired at uh, Deliveroo where I'm working right now just with a good portfolio and you yeah. can learn those stuff on yeah. your own. And I think degrees as a whole, they, they've lost their value as time has gone on because I was reading some stats actually. So uh, at the moment, 29% of people get firsts compared to 7% in the 1990s. And overall, 79% of people get a first or a 2-1 which is up, again, 47% from the 1990s. And if you think about those numbers, then there's no significant value in degrees anymore. It's almost like a degree is a signal. So it just, it's just like a checkbox that you can tick. And it's a way of like filtering out sort of other people. So you've got a degree, yes, then you filter out all those other people. And then that's then a way to get these jobs. It's rather unfortunate that it's like many people, they, they specify need the two one in this specific degree or whatever related subjects and they filter out so many great talents i i think i think exactly like people yeah. can spend three years and learn stuff themselves like i like i'm pretty sure that you're you did you did ai you had the capability to do ai and computer science and you didn't even have to go to your lecture you can just literally use lecture capture learn from yeah. the books you didn't like literally that that payment of nine grand was only for the facilities to be there for you pretty much exactly oh 100% yeah so very expensive (laughs) grand throughout the three years you can invest in online courses or travel to the to San Francisco and spend three months there and learn from people around yeah yeah Yeah. I I think that's crazy what you just said right now like literally you can take you can take 30 grand and you can just travel the world. I think you can go to China and see their mechanical processes. Exactly. I think you can start learning other languages. So, like, you could, obviously with computer science, it's important to learn programming languages and other things on the side and how functions work. You can also, like... Because it's not just about programming. It's also about, like, um, managing a project. Like, if you're given a task to do, you instruct others to do things a certain mm-hmm. way without you having an actual knowledge of what to precisely do. I think there's people, like who do these sorts of things, like project managers or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Specifically, obviously. But yeah, when, as you go up, especially in the corporate world, it is more project management rather than actual the nitty-gritty side of things. And so when you have your degree and you, then you sort of get the basics and then that... But the fundamental does always come back to problem solving, though. Mm. It's always yeah, problem absolutely. solving. If so you whether you're through project the, management, yeah. The initial stages of like getting your hands dirty... You cannot manage something that you've never done. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I haven't read, I haven't read much about Steve Jobs like, in terms of like, the earlier stages. I don't know. Have you read? Uh, what, do, you, do you know a lot about him specifically? I know some, something about him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like how, um, so he had created Apple and it was all just on the basis of simplicity. And like, I think he's talked about something like 
what's that thing about writing? Calligraphy. Like how writings are just written so nicely and simply and bold. Yeah. Like catches your eye and breaks everything down, everything down so easily. He literally took calligraphy classes and applied so many concepts into computers. Exactly. And it's just crazy. How, like you said, no point of a degree. Mm. Literally, the guy went out, calligraphy, boom, got it. Yeah. He Find just it. dropped into different classes. He was lucky to live in California. Yeah. He and then he just dropped into different classes, learned from, and you can just go into Stanford classes easily. Mm. Yeah. The thing is, I think because going to university in this country is such a standardized route, whenever people think about other ways of learning, like even online classes, people will still think, ah, oh, a u- an actual uni degree would be better than this online qualification that I can do for like 50 quid or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, like some of the greatest people, like uh, one, one of my favourite entrepreneurs is Gordon Ramsay and what I really admired about him, he's like, obviously, look, I studied in business school, I studied investment, financial risk management. Mm-hmm. My interests more lie around financial data, analytics and stuff like that. But what I liked about like different people, like suspicious, I was just going to say Gordon Ramsay is because he came out of Scotland Single mum, brother's a drug addict, father walked out of his life. He literally just, obviously he struggled, but he went to France and he worked like a slave, like for free, for nothing, just to learn. He left his home, went there, learned. And he just, that crazy work ethic and like different corporate cultures and like all this sort of stuff, like he combined it together and came back with a fantastic original idea back in that time. I think what we've really forgot about ourselves is originality, I think, is like to be original. Like if we're doing this podcast right now, I think we just have to strive to be different from others, even if it's not successful. But the idea is we do have a different look. I think it's really cool. And like like you say, if you do computer science or work in a programming job, when it comes to like problem solving, I think it's like having a look in different ways, in so many different ways. You've got colleagues who can solve that problem, but you just did it in a totally different manner. Maybe in like sort of less than twenty steps. It like fascinates everyone, like how the hell did you do that, you know? Because um, I did computer science, I actually literally yeah. failed it when I went to school. <laughs> but I did learn a few, I did learn some really good things. I enjoyed programming, but I mean, I did like five A levels at that time, and um, it was like an extra subject for me. Yeah. And man, like, I, like the teacher doesn't gave us like Python like exercises, and um, it was really fun. It was really like it really pushed you to your limits. Like your brain is boiling. Like I've never had my brain boil more that hard. That can happen. Yeah, that, that, that point. can happen. Yeah. That can happen. Yeah. The thing is, you get stuck and then you want to finish it because that's like human nature. You want to finish the task and then you can't do it, so you just keep on doing. It. It's just if you can't do it, it frustrates you. Yeah, exactly. Like for me, like I realized my father, like he does manual work, and for me, it was like, like he would think that manual. Like he, I'm looking at manual work and I think that's tough. But it's actually also the mental strength you need to have to deal with tasks as well. Because <laughs> if you don't, like, you have to be very, you need to be very strong, like, in yeah. certain things, in certain tasks you're given, that like, you can't let go, like, n- numerous, numerous failed attempts, you know? It just, it just really slaps you down, so I think it's really good. That just builds up, like, after, like, not really slavery, but lots of hard work, just build that mental strength. It's, it's the same for, like, top athletes. They just build that mental strength and focus that they, they need to and it, perform. And it takes time as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. Everything takes time and you just yeah. have to... I suppose in this world that we live in today, like you see, you see really successful people and then a lot of uh, people aspire to be like that, but they don't realise the, the hard work that goes in to becoming that finished product. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's no overnight success. It's just like yeah. next time. But I can't bring myself around to believing these sort of overnight success stories. It's just I I can't believe it. I like, get rich quick schemes. Or how to make like you see on YouTube all the time there's videos like how to make six hundred pounds in a day, like in like two months and it's like it's much more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah, those guys were working probably like six months or two years before learning marketing. Yeah. And after that suddenly they made thirty K in two days. Yeah, they made it, but yeah. then they were two two years before that. You know, they're marketing in themselves, because look there's demand for information about getting rich quick. And so they're like, okay, if I make a video, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be true, but just to talk about these issues, then people are going to click on it and I want to make money. 
Yeah, but it's a good uh, like clickbaity type. Yeah, exactly. We live in a world of clickbait, fake news. Well, that that's what, what do you think about all of that? All the best, I think. I mean, nobody believes in this clickbait issue. It's yeah, it worked in two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen, fourteen, but it's not working anymore now. Marketing is way harder, and you have to work your ass off to really have proper marketing campaigns and goods let's say on youtube titles and thumbnails and all that but probably you know as well you in order to attract uh listeners probably it was easy a few years back like three four years ago when there weren't so many podcasts but now the competition is way bigger i mean there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts of course there's only about six hundred thousand podcasts globally which compared to youtube channels i think that's not there's nowhere near and they were saying that what that means is there's essentially that that ratio there's still loads of topics undiscussed in podcasts absolutely absolutely so podcasts has a, still have a huge advantage because what i like about podcasts is that we can sit here today and and chat for as long as we want about an issue like people will go about their day but they probably have us on in the background while they're doing a workout while they're having their coffee while they're on the commute and whereas with a video, the people don't sit, they don't hang around for longer than 10 minutes. They saw one short, sharp content. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's literally like, um, obviously you have to have your facts straight and it's important to, when you say certain things, is to be aware. Or if, if you're going to give a perspective on something, you have to obviously say it in a certain way that people don't yeah. go out and take it literally, that like, this is what this is. Because you could be wrong. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, pretty much, like, the idea of making things quick, concise, easy is so important now. Like, for instance, think about 10 years ago, taking a cab, for instance, you either have to hail one or call up a local office, now yeah. it's Uber, you know, or when it comes to food delivery, it's the same thing. People just don't call up the companies, it's now mediators as well, and they just give you a whole selection. Like, it's it's it's, it's crazy, like, everything's just... I think when we live a city in a city like London, everyone... Everyone wants things much yeah. more easy. People quickly. crave convenience. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I live right towards the edge of London, uh, towards, like, like just nearby the M25. And this is, like, the London vibes is not where you get where I live. But I think it's really important to have your mind open. So if you have a business idea, if you want to create efficiency, it has to benefit not just inner city people, but outer city people in suburbs. I think in so many ways, you know. So it's always, like, you've got... People, you always have people in the ray on the radar around you. That's that's very true, actually, and yeah, everything is happening very very fast in London. Like, the threshold to get proper food in London is like thirty minutes delivery. Yeah. If you don't get it in thirty minutes, people are just mad. Yeah, yeah. But in other places, people are willing to wait, let's say, an hour. An hour really, in hour. in city center, in is that how quickly delivery enter? Yeah, every food every food delivery every company food, that's yeah. like a standard in in London half uh, half an hour. That's crazy. The, look how far we've come. Like you get food in, like you get food quicker if you got delivered than for you to go downstairs, go to the shop, order, it, and then walk back. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, look, there are also like externalities like um, that come present because like we can get food delivery, but the issue was like people say that like, oh yeah, it's unhealthy. To just buy, to just get food ordered to you, it's more expensive. But I mean, now now we're looking at like Uber, Uber Eats, and Deliveroo going into like healthy food sections, and like even like off licenses are like present on like really yeah like you can get like alcohol and stuff like that or like alcohol's not healthy. What I'm trying to say is you can get specific things ordered from like shops and stuff. Yeah, and you can just get ingredients just sent to you instead of all these like really weird farm fresh companies that come knock on your door and say hey like. By the way, it's so fresh, we're organic and this and that. And it's just like, it's just marketing lies, you know? Yeah. Rather, you just know what you're getting through all these apps, you know? Like, just literally pick the local off-license or you pick Sainsbury's or whatever. They just pick whatever up and come through. But wait, do you have, like, do you have, like, big-time grocers, like, grocers like Sainsbury's, Tesco's on your platform? Uh, no, no. It's because they have their own I delivery think, service. Yeah, they have their own delivery service. So Tesco has their own, and uh, Sainsbury's, I think, has their own as well. Right. I think Mar Morrison's and, and Amazon did have, have some sort of partnership recently. Yeah. It's nice to see all these big companies sort of 
working together to to benefit the consumer the deals we're getting the service we're getting these days it, it's far superior than anything we've had before absolutely that's well we are giving them money and they yeah, make money only if we are happy yeah. because consumers but what, what i mean is that because you know when you think about I'm not going to go into. I'm not going to go on a run. But when you when you talk about capitalism, you sort of think about monopolies and about these businesses just reaping large profits and not because there's monopolies and they don't necessarily translate that into a better service and cheaper prices for the consumers. So I guess it's nice to see you know better services and you know then eventually over time as these big companies develop the infrastructure, then costs dramatically decrease. Yeah, well, Amazon is great. I mean, they have next day delivery. You can return. even same day delivery. Same day. Delivery. I don't know how good how good that is for the environment, but it's it's convenient when I want something now. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, but it is crazy like um, I was thinking about this the other day I was talking to one of my friends about this like in tech in like stuff like this like for instance if you look at go back to 07 when Tesla launched right what did they release it was like the Tesla Roadster which is fully electric like a nice car looks chic driven by Leonardo DiCaprio and all these big celebrities who are like talking about environmental friendliness yeah. it's crazy but that was back in 07 now that was like the first proper electric car that like mainstream just came out mainstream that everyone knew about and now you know tesla was assigned status symbols like because it's built in such few amounts and um the main idea was this in like it's always produced it's always negative every year but it's just pumped with so much investment you know i think it was like some some something about tesla's not cash rich but just asset rich you know because of all the tech it has um, and also that yeah, it's, it's it's a really weird cash so right? cash poor and uh, asset rich yeah. yeah like just um excluding cash but it was crazy how they marketed Tesla so powerfully in the early years and celebrity states and all this thing now you've got like governments going into the idea of moving away from diesel cars and you know Euless charges for anything which is over sixteen plate for diesel um you know moving to the electron electronification of cars. Like, yeah. yeah, like 2030, we promise you that there's not going to be any, like, sort of um, fossil fuel cars in our own. Yeah. Like, you could just think about, this is, like, hundreds and hundreds of billions, maybe even trillions of pounds. Now, yeah. not trillions, but, like, billions and billions, like, reaching up to a trillion. But it's crazy how just one company marketed itself so powerfully that people just became more aware and woke yeah. about just, like... How, like yeah like just woke like they stay yeah. woke but like just just like go back to 07 and go up to now now you've got France saying yeah we've got to be electric now you've got UK saying we've got to be electric now people are, like businesses and people are getting charged so much per day I think this country they've, they've got a, a target for 2050 to be carbon neutral carbon neutral and that's in law so mm. I think we were the first major economy to put it into law which is quite good yes. well there was another thing like, I mean the funny thing is that the electric car came out before the for the the fossil fuel burning car you know that right? really yeah 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 didn't you, didn't you know that no yeah it was it was oh, we've got, we got a fact we got a fact check well we got a fact check me but I, it's actually true so uh, when was this uh... Um, hold on, the electric car yeah there, there was um, so wait the first the first one let me just quickly check um, I uh, yes, the first electric car was developed in eighteen ninety to eighteen ninety one in Iowa. It was a six passenger wagon capable of going up to fourteen miles per hour. That's pretty good. Yeah. So when was the yeah? So it's pretty crazy. But um, I think that some say that it would, the electric car came out before the uh, the main cars like the um the other ones. Uh, hold on. The first practical one was produced in the eighteen eighties. They were popular in the nineteenth century and the early twentieth century. Until advances in internal combustion engines. Yeah, so it was originally the electric cars that came to effect. Then, I think because of costs and stuff like that, I don't know why, but I think, I think it was Proliferation cost. of yeah. the oil and, yeah. and... Yeah. We just wanted to make more money with That's oil, so... Exactly, yeah. we had the oil rush across the United States. I mean, yeah. so obviously I think they moved towards this form of energy. Going to court can be stressful and difficult. That's when you need support and expert advice. Faraday's solicitors have a range of departments providing family law, criminal defence and civil litigation advice. Our solicitors are available to discuss your case to ensure you achieve the best possible outcome. Our reputation is built upon a philosophy of thorough case preparation coupled with a fearless commitment where we endeavour 
endeavour to provide every client with a high quality service. We hold a legal aid franchise, are LXL accredited and are regulated by the SRA. Our solicitors will advise you on the most cost effective way to fund your case as we accept both privately and publicly funded cases. Faraday's solicitors firmly believe that everyone has a right to justice and we will help you uphold that right. We can be contacted on 0207 281 1001 or via email on inquiries at faradaysolicitors.co.uk With the Middle East for instance I mean what happened what the Ottoman Empire expanded across the Middle East then the Brits came in and obviously when the Ottoman Empire disintegrated because like, there was like British agents backing like like ethnic tribes across the Hejaz region and that mm-hmm. and they drew the borders in such a beautiful way like this is Iraq this is Saudi, this is Kuwait, but it's actually like, this is Royal Dutch Shell, this is BP, this is Texaco, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's what they, that's why I think they drew it as. <laughs> but like, it's just amazing how they strategically target things out. And like, they say, like, obviously when we studied in school back when I was 16, they said, oh yeah, war, when war happens, technology advances itself, like advances as well. And it's interesting how we talk about a military-industrial complex. Everyone talks about like how it's a conspiracy theory and stuff like yeah. that. But it's actually, um, I would think that it's actually present right now. I mean, if war happens, tech advances so much, and people say, "Oh yeah, governments shouldn't exist," but like mm. the ideas of like putting the internet into practice and so much different tech has happened. Obviously, those private investment bowls and yeah. governments supporting these initiatives Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, you know. So I'm, I find it weird. Like, you know, like, you got, like, um, big-time entrepreneurs like McAfee, John uh, John McAfee. Um, John McAfee was the one, who, like, the software company, like, McAfee yeah. everyone talks about. This guy literally was caught, I think, in Bolivia or Peru a few years ago, so on suspicion, like, and so he was suspected to, um, for murder or something like that. The man, he managed to get... Noise. Yeah, so he managed to just leave the country in time and get back to the United States, and he ran for president for the Libertarian Party. So his ideology is that the government should be so small to the point that elections don't matter anymore and um, everything should be just purely free market. Do decentralised. Decentralised, basically. Currencies should be decentralised for cryptocurrency, all these sorts of things. I think when it comes to currencies, it's a different idea, but his idea of like economic regulation, I think, is it's really, really, it's really, really, um, it's really far for a tech person. But then you've got Elon Musk as well, who just kind of like, he's kind of like, favours free market competition all these yeah. things. So, you know, with the sort of the, the rising prominence of AI, like, how do you think it should be regulated? Do you think it should be something where the government really cracks down on or it should be just left to, for these companies to develop themselves? Because like, just to go back to Tesla, right? So then when, when you start talking about these electric cars, then, you, then the topic of automation comes in and the, the topic of self-driving cars and then the ethics behind that. What do you think about these sort of things? I think... Um... AI proved to be useful so far, especially in business. I mean, there there were lots of new revenue streams opened and companies just were able to access, let's say, patterns in the data which gave them new insights and new products and stuff with the help of AI. And about regulations, well, I think it's a lot of uh, philosophy. Uh, when you want to come up with regulations and like, what, what what do you do if there's a person in the road? Do you swerve out the way and kill the driver, or do you run the run that person over? Exactly, exactly. No, I mean it's crazy. Like people, like it's it's like how people say um, cybernet is coming in, and you know, like machinery is going to come in and kill human beings. Some ridiculous like people say that you could train machines to be more intelligent than human beings. But, what, I mean, what do you think about, like, all these... But you know, a lot of them are. Huh? A lot of them are. They can execute transactions. If you look in uh, finance, for instance, like, the, the amount of trans- yeah. and, uh, transactions and trades that they execute every second, every minute. Yeah, that's true. Well, they can be faster because they have access to the internet, like the machines, so they can just access any, any data in a matter of seconds. But then... That's what we do in our day-to-day job. I mean, you're just now having your laptop opened doing fact-checking. And yeah. it takes you probably one or two minutes until you find a fact. Yeah. While a machine, can do it why, why not have a robot where it just finds you in a matter of seconds without you Googling and browsing pages. 
or uh, yeah, it just makes our lives easier and then you can just do other things which are more fun. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, I mean, how do we express ourselves to get a machine to do something? We either type it up or we say something to it for through voice recognition, yeah. you know, type. Like, but what if we didn't need to do these things? What if it was just mind reading or something? Like, that's you're crazy. You're talking about this Elon Musk's new project, Neuralink. I, I, I've not read much about it, actually. Do you know, have you heard about that? Right? Yeah, so it's, this is his idea, basically, to just... Um, inject or just implant some fiber stuff in your brain so that uh, it reads these electrical impulses from your brain and it can translate it to whatever human readable thing image text whatever so he wants this like that is that is a feature literally we have a backup in the cloud of all our thoughts and it's it's futuristic. That's mad. And I don't know how it's progressing, but yeah, that's his idea. But you know what's so cool because it reminds me of something. Have you ever watched that um, TV show like Black Mirror? I heard <laughs> about it, but uh, didn't watch it. Okay, I I personally got a bit traumatized by first <laughs> I watched on it. Like the first episode, like okay, I want to talk about what you just said right now, but I just want to go a bit off topic. Yeah. Like the first episode is about I think David Cameron <laughs> and the pig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and basically, it's basically taking like things and and making it into like a dystopian sort of mm-hmm. um, look. Like it's very disturbing. It's very weird. Like it shouldn't happen in the society. Yeah. So what happens is a hostage crisis, and the prime minister is called immediately. And um, the guy says, well, the uh, prime minister has to engage in intercourse with a pig in public, <laughs> public eye. Like, it has to be recorded for the nation. Now, it's, like, staged and it's recorded. Like, the show is so well produced. Like, it literally looks like I'm actually watching this happen yeah. in real life. And this traumatizes me. Like, the prime minister then goes into the room <laughs> with the animal and he does the business in front of the public. Wow. But, but then they get, they get a phone call. 20 minutes before the Prime Minister does something, um, like, basically the woman, the hostage was released 10 minutes before the Prime Minister actually engages in the act. Oh, okay. <laughs> but no one picked up the phone call. <laughs> oh, so he just oh. got publicly humiliated, basically. Oh but there my was, God. Yeah, but linked to, <laughs> like, it's a very disturbing things. So linking to weird things, like how, like, things which are disturbing and really weird, like, it links to what you just said right now, injecting fibers into your brain and, like, keeping the storage of your memories. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one um, episode where there's this two couple, and it's a society where you have this little thing attached to your head. It's the Tinder one. And not the Tinder one. This is literally, like, where you can literally do, you can look at your partner, and if she says something, you can confirm, you can fact-check her by going back into her memory and, like, probing her memory to uh-huh. a conversation, let's say, three, four years ago. And it's like, you literally replay it. And then you, you know, you're like, you didn't say that. So what, this Black Mirror is like, every episode is something weird? Something, something completely weird. different. Something so completely different, yeah. It's a series, and each episode is different, but they focus on various different topics and issues. Mm-hmm. So one could be about artificial intelligence in the future, and what it might mean to have a chip in your brain where you can download all your thoughts and go back to five yeah. years ago or, or and see exactly memories. what you said. Yeah. And then there's other ones where we talk about uh, Tinder, yeah. but it's like the extreme, and so you you match with someone. It says you're going to match with this person for two years, and after that, then you, it resets. I can't really remember the episode. That's crazy. But there's another one though, like where people are on exercising machines, and they like constantly. They, the more they on the exercise machine, they build up like money and credit, yeah, just to live. You know yeah, what I mean? That's a good idea. That's that's. I mean, it's crazy because if you stop running, if you stop literally going out every day to on the exercise bike. You are literally like, you can't live anymore. You know what I mean? Keeps you uh, fit. There is an app, like, I don't know if you heard about Sweatcoin. Yeah, Sweatcoin. Yeah, 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 my brother has that. Yeah. yeah is it quite new? No, no, it's uh, few, no, it? It's old, but uh, it's, it's hard to make money on it. So, yeah. still, the way to make money is affiliate marketing, like getting your friends to sign up and then you get Sweatcoins based on the referrals. Yeah. No, that's that's that. That's crazy, man. What, what what's the percentage that you earn from getting people to sign up? Like five or something like that. Uh, no, 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 I mean. Or like a thousand sweat coins. I mean, look, a lot of these online banks are following this 
Like I don't know how many, like maybe 50 sweat coins. Okay. But then a thousand pounds is like 20 sweat coins, 20,000 sweat coins. Okay, yeah. So, so not a good conversion rate. There's an exchange rate, basically. <laughs> there's a, there'll be a um, foreign exchange market for it, going yeah. up and down. Yeah, it's mad. Because imagine just going to the Bureau of the Exchange, like, hey, I'm going to Australia, I need some sweat coins. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's mad. But um, that's really cool, man. Like, um, people talk about these different forms of payment. Like, now we're looking at digital banking, man. It's, like, big time now. Like, we're going towards Monzo, Revolut. Like, everything, like, traditional is moving away towards, like, like quick electronics or systems, like, yeah. online banks, for instance. Are Monzo, Revolut. Monzo, Revolut, yeah. and all these sort of things. Like, I've, I've met so many international students, and I don't ever see a Barclays card or... Or like yeah. NatWest or whatever. You, you fundamentally don't need a lot of the services that these banks provide. What you want is convenience. You want to be able to use, especially going abroad. Like you can, when, when I go on holiday, I can take a Revolut card and not pay international fees. Yeah, and, and save a lot of money. I mean, at some point, so I was just like living in Romania. My parents didn't, didn't have pounds. They had the Romanian currency. So I had to transfer all the time. And I was losing often, I, I was losing like 80, 100 pounds per transaction. Yeah, or if I had, uh, let's say, euros or uh, Romanian currency and I came in here in the bank and I wanted to exchange it, just uh, rip me off. It was like I was getting 60 or 70 pounds less than what I get on Revolut. Wow. And, it, and it all adds up. Yeah, it adds up. I mean, I, I tried this. So I went, uh, went in... Uh, uh, the bank with 1,000 euros and I said, okay, give me pounds for this. She gave me the number and okay, I said, just give me a minute, popped out Revolut and checked, okay, what do I get for 1,000 euros? And the difference was like 80 or 90 pounds. And I was like, no, I don't want it, thank you. No, that's, that's mad, man. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realize you saved this much money. Oh my that's God. That's why it's a lot of these international students, they carry all these Revolut accounts. Yeah. You saying. don't save a lot on 50 pounds or... But it adds up if you talk so if about... So yes. grand or something like, like that. Oh yeah, two, three grand, you save loads of money. Like, banks just rip you off big time. Is that because of the infrastructure of these banks that... Have, is it AI, does that come into it? Yeah, their whole infrastructure is old, uh, slow, and it's reliant on humans. So all that infrastructure, uh, they have to pay humans to do the job actually. It's like somebody, I don't know, turning the wheel every time when you make a transaction. Yeah. But with Revolut and Monzo. Revolut is just like pure technology, yeah. quick the transactions, and then they, that's why they can save so much and yeah. not charge the customer a lot of money and address to a larger market in the meantime. In terms of delivery, how are you seeing uh, technology specifically enhancing the business models? Uh, technology is just changing every industry so it's it's not like a specific business model but rather the level of automation that you can achieve I mean yeah like if you think about it food delivery before you were calling a restaurant which had a, a few staff then let's say the chef had to stop pick up the phone talk with you for five minutes, then that order was delayed five minutes and so on. Mm. But now everything is automated. So just order through the app, then it pops up on the screen for the chef. He just presses a button and in one second he just got your order and he can keep working. It's not disturbing. So I think technology in terms of automation, it's uh, saving a lot of money because everything can just happen faster. Of course, this can lead to some jobs being automated but um... okay. so you know in terms of the trajectory that AI technology automation is going and then you talk about then people graduating getting jobs do you think there's a sort of they're not compatible because the way technology is going and then an expanding population we're growing exponentially it worked globally and so do you think there's going to become a point where there's no jobs any like jobs that people can do because they're, they're taken by technology that's a good question, actually. And I, I do believe that, yeah, universities just will be like dinosaurs at some point if they don't upgrade their teaching skills. Just because, for example, my girlfriend currently, she uh, did her, fashion, her master's in fashion and she had a hard time finding a job. 
just because fashion is more like manual, you know. But uh, and and the fashion industry and the uh, opportunity of jobs is just smaller, rather than if she let's say did graphic design, UX design, then suddenly her opportunity for jobs is much larger because there are endless companies who need graphic design, branding, uh, UX design. Mm. So yeah, like I can totally see how the landscape is shifting from the old model of manual labor, blah, 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 to, okay, what are your technical skills? What can you do on the PC? Can you work properly on Excel? Are you productive in Excel? Do you know Photoshop? Do you know programming? And that's the future, yeah? If you compare university courses like 10 years ago now, a lot of them are just moving towards like statistical programming, for instance, they're implementing that psychology Mm -hmm. and that medicine and my degree Data visualization, I guess it's yeah. a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, like you got your languages like MATLAB, R, yeah. Reviews, um, SPSS, whatever. Like you, they just really push you to learn these languages. And then there's like mandatory um, courses like Introduction to VBA, like in my course, you know. Yeah. And we really realize, like, like you know, for instance, actuarial science is the study of risk. So what they did was, um, initially, if you look at a long time, but it would be book-based. You learn the formulas and f- how to calculate like risk for things like surrounding your insurance premiums and stuff like that. And you do that in the exam. But now it's like, now the fundamental, like a big requirement is to have an understanding of programming language. It's quick to generate the results. It's how you use a computer to your advantage, you know? As you're saying, like... People used to say, like the yuppies of the 80s and the 90s, they used to make 100,000, 200,000, yeah. half a million a year on investment banking. Mm-hmm. But now that's not really there as much anymore because, as he said, that there's computers and there's robot machines, advisors, robots, advisors, killing. literally cow- killing it, like executing exactly. transactions in milliseconds. Yeah. So it's just like, yo, it's such a good point that we just made right now about yeah. we need to move away from dinosaurs. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know what? Like, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm studying to become a lawyer, right? And I was speaking to this person. I can't remember what their background was, but they said to me that we're not going to need need lawyers in the future because a computer will show you the best outcome. And I was, I was sort of like grappling with that sort of thought in my mind. And I think, you know, do you do you think a machine can do like a, a job of a lawyer? Man, it'd be really crazy because I mean, look, they're like there's gonna be like miscarriage of justice and stuff like that. I'll be worrying if machines were purely put in responsibility of these things. I think humans, if you're talking about the outcome of human life and stuff like that, then it's not always gonna to have to be machine. Like I feel like it's, it's 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 quite emotional here. I think when it comes to defending our lives and stuff like that, mm. we can't just be like saying tech yeah. and tech and tech. I think we always have to have a reliance on someone, company comfort and stuff like that it's just natural the biggest normal. reason why it's not happening yet it's mostly because it's okay let's say AI would do this explanation but I mean this judgment but yeah. uh, AI at, at is moment, not explainable it, yet yeah. so but when you have a, a judge let's say who makes a decision then uh, they can follow up on that okay why did you make this yeah. decision if you ask a judge okay why did you condemn that person he can explain to you, okay, these are the facts, this, this, and that. But when you have a machine, currently the state of AI is that it's not easily explainable yeah. why an algorithm did a certain yeah. uh, decision. Yeah. So this is why we don't, don't trust algorithms with this kind of stuff like lawyers and deciding. But if we can get to a level where we can trust algorithms, full transparency... Yeah, law can be automated. I, I think it'd be fantastic. I mean, we can give it literally like all the work, all the like all the papers and all the financial statements, whatever, like any case related, whatever. Yeah. And you just give it all the reports yeah. and it will literally exactly. take all the words and literally just break yeah. it all down to you. If you think about it, there'll be no need for like a court, a court hierarchy structure because if you start at the very bottom and you can make an appeal to the high court then an appeal to the Supreme Court. So if you just have a, a central AI... With that just says you're guilty, then you can't appeal. If, if there's an algorithm that has determined that you're guilty, then there, there'll be no means to appeal it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but, like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's crazy. Like, 
Like, if you're saying lawyers, now let's talk, let's talk about governments and prime ministers. What if our prime minister is a machine himself? <laughs> like, literally, he takes all the economic data and he says, this is the most efficient way of production. Like, literally puts yeah. everything but in efficient Someone's going to program. Says. Someone has to program what is the most efficient. Then you, then it becomes, are you a free market person? Are you a... But still, that's not the single role of a leader. I mean, uh, sorry, I, I gave away the keyword. That's not a single role of a prime minister no, no it's not I mean there's also so many other things he is a leader at the end of the day yeah he is so leadership cannot be replaced by a machine yeah and yeah but but there are people out there who say that governments should be as small as possible as we spoke about earlier and how like we should just be like unregulated and let everything work as course because if you're up to something bad then people are not going to engage in transactions with you because you are Bad, but the issue is that the governments are there because there's asymmetrical information and market failure, market failure, like there's gaps between mm. the consumers and the producers, you know. That's interesting, but I mean, it's crazy. Like, okay, you're right, leadership figure, but um, I don't know. I mean, like, how, how, how can it like it's very difficult when let's say for the last thousand years, all the biggest genocides and massacres and suffering of this world happened because of governments engaging in really crazy things like World War Two, you got the Nazi German government, you got um, communism spreading yeah. throughout the East Side. Um, then you have like, you know, like it's it's and then you got war, you know, like in then the Middle East. Um Do I you mean you think AI's AI or technology could be a remedy or a solution? Do you think it could be a re- do I think it's gonna remedy a solution for like the most biggest human sufferings of the world? I would say look like, how I talk about, like, leader, leadership is very important. I think people will vote and people will engage in the democratic process. But there will come a time where everything's so automated and so we're so comfortable to a point that do we really need, people, like, a government setting the boundaries for us now? Rather, it's just machines following everything to the T, you know, and updating themselves every year. So you don't even need governments to just produce new laws. It's just That's literally a very good point. like like yeah. you can literally put a system of regulation for 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 a machine itself, and so every year updates yeah. and follows but the laws. A, an issue that we haven't talked about, which I think is very important in terms of these whole debates, is like data and like these then your data then goes oh, into these yeah. massive private corporations because well, then that's 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 what technology is no, they have your it's data it's already there so. it's already yeah. there i mean look what do they say about google like they say that google is a product or it's not it's not actually that's not how it works it's actually you are the product exactly you are supplying the information you yeah. are doing the searches you are putting your credit card information <laughs> you are searching all the nudies and everything. So. I mean, they know everything about people, so it's like... And cookies. Do you know what, what freaks me out? Is that I'm talking about something. I've not made a, a single a Google search about something, and then a minute later, it's in my it's in my like recommended like searches, uh, and it blows my mind. It's like, really? Then I'm like, wait, wait, is that true? Wait, wait, what do you mean? As in, so let's just say. Um, I know. Okay, I'll give you an example. So the other day we were talking about some of the fighter planes that Russia were producing, and then we we're going to Google something. So we was, I literally typed in F, and then it goes fighter plane Russia. I let's try it. Let's. Do you know what? The thing is, like, these sort of coincidences are, they, you know, they might just be coincidences. I want to try that. But it's just, it freaks me out that I, I think that maybe, you know, the conspiracy theory that our phones are listening to <laughs> us, they're just gathering that's, all this that's data. That's too much. That's too much. That's, that's, no, come on, man. You must have said Russian fighters before. No, uh, well, I have no reason to. Like, it, I have no interest in them. We were just chatting about it on the off chance. Man... I don't know how that makes sense at all. What is your computer listening to you? Or your, or your phone. Android could be. Because you know what, like, if you have, so like, we, we talk about, like, these um, Google Homes now, we have Alexa, <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> I just shut my laptop. Yeah, yeah turn, it turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> Take I'll the battery out. Hey, where's the window? I want to throw this outside. <laughs> I just want to like go back to books, <laughs> but man, like no, that's, yeah, you're right. That's, that's crazy, actually. As in, it's just something that I've noticed, and I don't know if it's just me or is in you know, have have you experienced something like that? No, no, I mean that's heavy. No, 
that's that's crazy. But but when I search, are you surprised? That's, that's no, I'm not surprised. I just turn. I have ad blockers and uh, blocking all the Facebook ads and everything. So uh, I know that it's happening. I mean, they just look at your search data and then they just show you the ads that they think you might like. That's the way we were, but sometimes they are useful. I mean, Amazon recommendations could be useful sometimes. They just like yeah. that's what it is targeted marketing, right? Yeah, yeah, very personalized, and it's it's based on AI again. I mean, on Facebook, when you're scrolling, it's an algorithm deciding what kind of posts to show you, so you whether spend the most amount of time on the platform, or there is a high probability of you clicking. On that link, if it's an ad, mm-hmm. so yeah. Because were you aware of the Cambridge Analytica scandal of a couple of years ago, I heard about talking it. about Russian interference in elections and talking about personalized online political campaigns, and then the whole like literally making a bespoke profile yeah. for who you are as an individual online, and then targeting ads at you is crazy. And again, this all stems back to the capabilities of technology. It happened. Yeah, I mean, like it's crazy, like. Um, it created this massive movement, man, on the internet with this Cambridge Analytica thing. Those people are still going to conferences speaking about... I saw some tech conferences where uh, person X invited from Cambridge Analytica... <laughs> is, that enti- is it still an entity that exists? Uh, I don't know if it's an entity that exists, but it's like, we know this name, so it's yeah. just a good mar- attractive marketing... It was a brainchild of it. Steve, Ban- Steve, Steve Bannon? Not sure. No, no. It was um, the founder is Alistair Alistair Mc, McWilson. Um, Steve Bannon was the vice president, former vice president of this. Actually, yeah, he was. And he was. Guess who he was advising? Uh, he was the main uh, chief advisor for President Trump. Then you got Rebecca Mercer, who was a major investor, who oh. is a Republican. Then you got uh, Robert Mercer, her husband, who was another investor. Oh. Then you got Alexander Nix, who's for Leave EU. Man, these are all well, like. Do you see what I mean? This like Eton College, all these big, big guys, man. Like, like literally. They all, they all together, and they all trying to ruin the ruin the world. Wow. Yeah, I mean, look, Mick Wilson, the founder, spent seventeen years in the British Foreign Service, working on technical and political risk analysis analysis in the former um, Soviet Union, the Middle East, and the United States. I mean, everything's just. It has its own political bias, man. The investors, the bloody wife of the investor, absolutely. Uh, Steve Bannon. I mean, Steve Bannon. Do you know? Do you know who Steve Bannon is? He was like what? What? He was like one massive of the. He was. Now, he, yeah, he was a massive corporatist investment banker. Like I mean, he was like one of the major Goldman or whatever. But uh, Goldman, it was there. Yeah. But Steve Bannon was um, part of the big right wing movement, and uh, there's another um, news channel called Breitbart News, right? And Breitbart uh, yeah, News, I remember this. Bre- Breitbart man was like some really far right sort of news, but everyone was on the wave of Breitbart. Like even me, man. Like I was, I, I literally, I was just addicted to all the stuff that I was. On. Really, not because I was leaning towards it. It's controversial, but it was so controversial. The point I want to check it. I want to see this. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like Muslims are like this, or um, you know, um, like, refugees like abortion, are coming. Or, abortion, or gender, this, or gender, like transgender people, or the gay community, or something like that. Like. It would literally attack any sort of um. It would literally just go on about any sort of identity. Really? Yeah, because like you think about it, two thousand sixteen was a time where identitarianism, like the idea of your own identity, was Brexit so, means Brexit. Brexit means Brexit. 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 European culture, European identity. Like I, I can see what that side was also saying, but there's like so much stuff like. It was crazy, man. And, like, these right-wing media wow. created troll groups, Pepe. You know Pepe the Frog? I don't know if you know about this one. Oh. Like, it's this little frog. Um, like It's called Pepe the Frog. It was made by a uh, comic a long time ago. And what they did was they turned the meme sort of lifestyle, meme culture, into, like, political stuff. So, literally, like, um, the right-wingers, how would someone who advocates conservatism and advocate a different worldview, a very, like, sort of old, traditional, even a modern but traditional worldview, how would they, like, promote it out to the public? And Cambridge and Liquor was part of this, but also, like, you're looking at people who literally shitpost, you know what that means? <laughs> is literally taking a bunch of memes, making it political, and making Hillary or whatever opposition political party exactly. bad. Yeah. So everyone made memes about this one. This is, like, something, like, 
oh yeah, like the frog is crying, and then there's like Hillary, like <laughs> like like it was a Democrat supporter or something, like wearing glasses and like a confused sort of gender look. Or something. It's so ingenious making like memes and associating it with politics and, yeah. and you see like the the political bible and on yeah the, on political bible and all these things but man like i worked in a, in a market an advertising company back then and um we were working on like campaign ads with nando's for instance this was about 2016 yeah and i was thinking like all these guys coming like from top institutions and talking about promoting it I feel like they missed that one big thing, the meme culture. Yeah. The meme culture would be such a fantastic way to reach out towards consumers like in marketing, man. Because like, everyone would repost and share. Your mum, your granddads would share like a funny post. Like, you know, like, you, you know, like WhatsApp posts. Like, who the hell yeah. does WhatsApp posts? Like, it's yeah. mainly your seniors and your family that does that. And it's like funny things. I think, I think, I th- and that's what I mentioned. I was like just interning there. I said, why don't we integrate a sort of meme culture in it? Like literally, let's go on Instagram search like specific memes about food and just apply it you know yeah. and you know I, did they I, do it? I, I don't know if they did it because I left the company like a month after yeah. and it was a month long project so I didn't really see it in practice but they really liked the idea I think it was really I think they were connected and I think they did something with it because mm-hmm. they did some sort of um, I think maybe Snapchat promotion or something like that and they integrated some sort of memes into it like about a chicken and stuff so it was quite funny you know like stuff and stuff like that I don't know but yeah. I heard I heard many marketing agencies who actually use memes because it's already hard to uh, stand out on Facebook like so many ads popping up continuously yeah but so memes are a good way to go viral yeah it goes to go viral exactly very true yeah Yeah. and like now you're seeing it with Coca-Cola and like Pepsi in competition like Coca-Cola would like literally like cloak like they'll get a Pepsi can and they'll cloak it like to the point they're nearly covering the Pepsi can but you can see it's like the new generation sign and stuff like that but they'll be like you know it's cloaked for a reason we're better and stuff like that <laughs> it's just crazy would like you Coke or Pepsi no Coke any day man. Coke. yeah uh, why would you drink Pepsi man that's just a fake Coke it's just a fake Coke <laughs> although sometimes I drink Pepsi but uh, Coke well, when I go to the cinema I always get Pepsi Max I don't know why I think so the cinema, loads of cinemas just have Pepsi. Well, them. a lot of these companies actually um, signed up with Pepsi. Yeah. You know, like McDonald's signed up with Coke. They have exclusive contracts. Okay. So yeah. Exclusive contracts. Yeah. Okay. The same with the stores and restaurants. If you sell Coke, is that is that like a bit, a, a bit of a collusion going on? Like, oh, I get this restaurant, you get another one. Uh, they battle for restaurants and for deals. Yeah. I don't know about collusion. I mean, that's something. You know, they're technically making an allegation. An allegation. Into a lawsuit. <laughs> but, I mean, what? No, I'm not stating let's just I'm just assuming. Let's just get... Are they? I'm, I'm asking questions. Well, Pepe the Frog can decide that. Let's just... Yeah, let's make, make a meme about it. And get people thinking about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I swear your political views. Yeah, actually, yeah. That, that could be a next post on your Instagram. Yeah, Pepe yeah. Pepe the Frog. Well, he actually did a funny... You did, like, a little meme post, didn't it? About, um, yeah, it was like this... There's this one where there's, like, a, a Nigerian, like, looking really confused or, like, looking really disappointed. I put a caption. Oh, when, when you haven't... Listen to the first episode yeah. of the Contrarian podcast. Like, it's just a guy, like literally, like a guy just like looking very disappointedly. Yeah. <laughs> so like we, you know, we just, but I think we should do more of that. You know, be fantastic. I'm revealing ideas, but yeah, and also use these memes as like um, these deep questions that we are actually talking about here. You know. Oh yeah. my god! And just give the give the audience a chance to answer or engage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another thing. Like engagement is a big thing. You want to like you can't just be passive. You got to be active with yeah. your followers and stuff but just before we wrap this up uh, I know you've been telling me that you've been reading loads of interesting books recently so if you've got any that you think that people should be reading any anything interesting that you'd want to I'm thinking which suits like, your let's, audience type yeah, let, well. let's just think with, today we talked a lot about technology AI about the future so I guess something in and around that uh, to be fair as I'm into this I didn't read too many books about it because I'm just watching like online courses and I do the programming part but there is an interesting book which uh, tries to, I mean, convey conveys this message which you are also trying to give to people like wake up. So there is the book called uh, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakhiani. Okay. And uh, yeah, it talks just about like, uh, not really about what is currently in the world, but about all the false beliefs that we get from the past and how they influence the your view of the world, my view of the world. So all this stuff from our parents and childhood, they just 
carve out a mindset which is not actually healthy and it's not our real mindset. It's artificial, influenced by other people's opinions. Oh. So for example, uh, you, the only time when you're a good man is when you go to the church and you're religious. This could be a false belief which many people have. Yeah. yeah. So this is a very good book. And then uh, about like uh, what is happening in the world and a bit of conspiracy theory is uh, this guy called David Icke. Mm. He is just amazing. I, I, heard I think he, he got a new book out this uh, 2019 called Trigger, which uh, talks about 9-11 and how 9-11 uh, influenced many parts of the world and why 9-11 actually happened. Well, you're, you're saying as a government, he makes a government conspiracy out of yeah. the events of September 11th. Like, like. So long, long story short, he just says that the government uh, thought about creating a problem mm-hmm. as soon as possible because they already had the solution, but they didn't have the problem for it. So the, pro- the solution, well, I mean, they created the problem like terrorists coming in USA, blah, blah, blah. And the solution was, okay, terrorists are here. We have to uh, implement surveillance. And then they just had mass surveillance and uh, uh, what, six cameras to each people? Yeah. Something like that. And then suddenly they just had the whole view of the country and they were able to control everything. So this this is one of the things that he's talking about. Well, it's kind of true, though, because it links to like Edward Norton. Uh, is it Edward Norton? The, the guy who ran off the, the whistleblower. Team. The whistleblower guy. Snowden, is it? Edward Snowden, sorry, not Edward, Edward Norton's actor. Edward Snowden. <laughs> Do you know Edward Snowden? Really familiar? It doesn't ring a bell. So he was a guy who worked for the CIA, he was a crypt- cryptographer. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he realized that the US government is actually participating in legal surveillance. Mm-hmm. Of the people, some people call him a patriot for what he's done for him, being yeah. that the government is going against the people's wishes of the country. This guy ran off like Russia now. He's in Russia. And of course, he's in Russia. I mean, why would Russia give an American whistleblower back to this? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, but it's true. crazy. And like, it is. this guy found out some crazy thing. People like they're watching webcams of like people changing. Like, like that's creepy. Like that's really creepy, what? man. Yeah. yeah. Does he have a book or something? He's got it. It's all yeah. over the. There's a film on it, but it's really? all over the internet, and you oh, can wow. see his interviews. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, look, he's been called a traitor by the U.S. government. Even Trump called him a traitor oh, because okay. he revealed that the. How is? Uh, how can you be a traitor if you're revealing to the public that the government is watching you? I, I'm I'm confused. Like yeah. sometimes, some backward conservatives really confuse me. You don't really know now. Who is the patriot? Is it the government who's yeah. watching the people to protect the people? Or is it the guy who's revealing that the government is violating all your personal freedoms? Exactly. Yeah. But now it links back to what you just said about how our minds are like, like influenced, you know? Yeah. Like, what do we really think? Are we influenced by our parents mm-hmm. or the politicians or our bloody friends? Whatever, you know? Like, exactly. It's crazy. It I, think, I think it's really good. It's what David Icke, you said. Yeah? David Icke, yeah. yeah. He's a traitor because he's classified. It's tricky <laughs> Thank you very much for speaking to us there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me on the Contrarian podcast. It was a pleasure. Oh, really? Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Cool. Make sure people to subscribe, like them on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> they are great people behind the podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Going to court can be stressful and difficult. That's when you need support and expert advice. Faraday's solicitors have a range of departments providing family law, criminal defence and civil litigation advice. Our solicitors are available to discuss your case to ensure you achieve the best possible outcome. Our reputation is built upon a philosophy of thorough case preparation coupled with a fearless commitment where we endeavour to provide every client with a high quality service. We hold a legal aid franchise are LXL accredited and are regulated by the SRA. Our solicitors will advise you on the most cost-effective way to fund your case as we accept both privately and publicly funded cases. Faraday's solicitors firmly believe that everyone has a right to justice and we will help you uphold that right. We can be contacted on 0207 281 1001 or via email on inquiries at faradaysolicitors.co.uk.